Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Impact Boom. My name is Mikey Leon, and I'm passionate about the inspirational people who are creating social impact and sharing their stories. Today we're speaking outdoors at the University of Canberra campus with Cindy Mitchell. Cindy is the founding chief executive officer of the Millhouse Ventures, Canberra region's first dedicated social enterprise business development consultancy. She previously worked as a venture capital investment manager and in senior management roles at large corporate organizations in Australia and the United States. She's also worked as a policy advisor and senior analyst in the Department of the Prime Minister and Cabinet and as an assistant director in the Department of Immigration and Border Protection. Cindy was the founder and CEO of No Sweat Fashions, a not-for-profit social enterprise designed to create training, employment, and work experience opportunities for migrant and refugees settling in Canberra. In her current role, she is responsible for the development of a social enterprise support program for new social enterprises and aspiring social entrepreneurs in Canberra and the region. Cindy is a passionate advocate for civil society and the social enterprise and social impact investment movements globally. When Cindy is not crusading on behalf of social enterprise and teaching for purpose professionals the dark arts of capitalism, she's probably writing. She's received first class honors for her thesis, hashtag Black Money Matters, conceptualizing African-American entrepreneurship as resistance to racial hegemony in America. She plans further study on the impact of race and gender in the development of hybrid businesses. On today's podcast, we'll discuss Cindy's origin story in social enterprise and how it led her to the formation of Millhouse Ventures. We'll also discuss the unique aspects of the Canberra social enterprise ecosystem, and we'll end on Cindy's perspective on what she calls the clarity of purpose versus the danger of passion. I'm here with Cindy Mitchell. We're outdoors at the University of Canberra. There's some lovely bird sounds and some students milling by here, and it's a lovely setting to have this chat. The bush capital. Yes, and as we call it, the bush capital. (laughs) Please first introduce yourself. Uh, My name is Cindy Reese Mitchell, and I'm the Chief Executive Officer of the Millhouse Ventures. Okay, great. I want you to take me back in time, Cindy, and tell me about the moment you discovered social enterprise and what's the origin of your engagement and your connection in the space and what is it that you're bringing? So about 10 years ago now I was a commercialization business development manager for a technology venture capital fund and I spent a lot of time working with early stage technologists in developing their pathways to commercialization and as part of that organization we managed a small grant called the ACT microcredit program for women on low incomes so just for a bit of a lark on occasion I would take the consultations for this program even though it was not my area it was just really fun so you can imagine working with early stage technology companies it can take them 10 years to get to market whereas if you give a woman $3,000 next week, she'll be in front of her customers. One day, someone came in, very long story, but he was representing a community of women from Burma. 
and he was their community leader and elder in that community and he was really frustrated by the fact that they were really struggling here in Canberra with finding jobs beyond you know domestic cleaning and that sort of thing and yet he was as he was explaining to me they had these amazing skills Many of them had grown up in the refugee camps on the Thai-Burma border, and in that time they had these little micro-businesses around making clothing and things like that. And then he started taking out this clothing, and Mikey, the level of technical um, execution in these garments was just brilliant. But of course, I was still in venture capital mode, and I'm like, nobody's going to buy this stuff. Like, it's uh, just, just straight up, you know? But then, and then he said, okay, yeah, and I, I gave him some feedback saying, you know, they need to think about their market and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And he went away, but I could not stop thinking about this man. I kept thinking, they had such beautiful technical skills and someone should do something about that. Someone ought to do something. And then I realized one day that somebody was going to be me. And so Hong Sar was with his name and I ended up founding No Sweat Fashions, a social enterprise really based on the social studio model in Melbourne. That was my inspiration. And that was my introduction to social enterprise, ran that, I, I call it my PhD in social enterprise because that was five years, a few years of hard yakka. Mm, so you founded one and you went on that journey. How does that lead to where you are now at Millhouse? Yeah, look, I, I think that was really the opening, the idea that all this stuff that I knew how to do, I knew about business, I knew about business plans, I knew about finance. Asa was really fortunate in that I had incredible networks. And then I realized that people who were trying to trade for purpose didn't have any of this and that there was a gap. So that sort of lived with me and for a time I just sort of, I wasn't really sure what the opportunity was, but just five years ago, the University of Canberra was approached by a social impact investor from a cooperative bank and they wanted to support social enterprise. And at this time I worked in the public service and I just got a call one day saying, hey, I hear you might know a little bit about what social enterprise is. And of course it was like, ah, yes, <laughs> how can I help? How can I be involved? And that was really the genesis of the Millhouse Ventures, which is an intermediary and it's about supporting and developing a pipeline of investable social ventures. And so what I get to do now is basically provide the service that didn't exist when I started as a social entrepreneur in Canberra, which is really helping people who are, are interested in trading for purpose to really understand how they can make their propositions more attractive to social impact investors. And why is that function so important, you know, to, to do that kind of work, that kind of support and scaffolding work that Millhouse is doing? Look, because what we're doing is really hard. <laughs> and at the end of the day, it's, as you know, it's two things. It's both a business, which in and of itself is difficult, but then it's this impact narrative and the idea that you're trying to operate in a community where your intervention is probably novel and there might not be people who are very interested, you know, that you present a threat to the, the current sort of way of doing things. And people who are attracted to this work, in my experience, are often people who don't come at it from a business background. They're often people who themselves have lived experience of the very disadvantage or inequity that they're trying to address and so by virtue of that they can be marginalized and don't have access to the networks that they need to both successfully execute the business model but also integrate whatever their intervention their theory of change is to the established ecosystem and that's why I'm so passionate about our role as an intermediary because I think that's what that's what we do is we step into the breach with them and we help to sort of make those connections between potential customers potential investors but also the community the community sector where they're trying to do things 
most of the listeners will be familiar with the why of doing social enterprise, yeah. the, the challenges of doing that. I'm here with Cindy because Cindy and I are working on the Social Enterprise Councillor for New South Wales and for Canberra. I've come down here because I'm also wanting to have a look into the Canberra social enterprise scene from my own knowledge, but also to share this with uh, our Australian counterparts and talk about what some of the unique features are here. So I'd like to invite you to first tell me a little bit about some of your favorite social enterprises that are here with Millhouse Ventures and some of the examples of the issues that people are working on here. And in between some of those stories, I'd love to hear what you think is unique about the Canberra social enterprise scene. You know, I have questions about whether proximity to the federal government means something different for you here. So, you know, there's a lot of those questions, but, you know, you can knock all those three over if you like. First of all, asking me what my favorite social enterprise is is like asking me what my favorite child is. So no, you're not going to get that today, but I'll give you some examples of what's going on here. Look, I've been doing this, particularly this intermediary role for going on five years, and what I've seen is, is quite an evolution. So when I first started doing this work in Canberra, because of our proximity to government, I think, there's a real strong resistance to this concept of social enterprise. And this might not be something that's in other places, but you have to understand that um, in a community where pe most people work, work for the government and the community sector is highly reliant on government support. I know that's everywhere, but again, the proximity here, it, you know, people were really afraid of this term. And that was really, I think, if anything, sort of for me constituted that, that first year of my work, it was fear. I would go into community organizations that themselves were social enterprises, but they would not use that language. They kept referring to themselves as charity because they were afraid that if they started to really emphasize their trading aspects, that would somehow mean that they would get less money. And I had to be the sort of bearer of bad news to say, look, this is gonna happen anyway. The nature of public money is just more contested than it has ever been. And for you to be on the front foot and embrace this language of trade and talk about yourself as a social enterprise, that's actually what's going to, to, to help you in your relationship with government. Because I had spent time in the government, you see. So the, and so I, I understood what, what was happening on, on the other side of the coin as well. And really, in the second year, that started to happen. And so even our large community service providers, these are organizations that run accommodation facilities, childcare centers. They are significant social enterprises that generate most of their income from trade. They're now using that language. And that was really important for my work with early stage people who were coming out of the community sector. And then their willingness to say, ah, this idea that I have for working with women who've experienced domestic violence or working with indigenous communities, I'd, ac I'd actually like to put the trading aspect up, up front. And so that really then became, oh, oh, and where can I go to do that? Ah, there's this place called Millhouse where I can do that. So the first year it was almost all not-for-profits. And now I think the vast majority of people who are coming through to Millhouse are for-profit social enterprises. So if you go to our website and see our participants, that's where all the children are. But the vast majority of those are for-profit social enterprises who are using, you know, companies limited by shares to actually, and in partnership usually with a community organization if they haven't founded one themselves as well. But, you know, they're really putting that trading aspect out front. And I think that, to me, has been the huge just cultural shift here. And as a result, the composition of the social enterprises are, are we're seeing more trading style and also more B2B social enterprises, which again was something that when I started doing this work five years ago, I didn't expect here in Canberra. That's the genesis of what's happening here. And how about government as a social enterprise itself in, in effect, or at least one of the largest potential buyers of, of social enterprise services because they have a sort of mandate of doing public good? 
as well. And here we are in this context. Could you outline what that's like a little bit more when you're um, sitting next to perhaps what might be some of the largest opportunities? Or am I just making that up in my mind I, about what Canberra is? I wish you weren't making it up in your mind. But at the same time, I think it's about where where the focus is. So government tends to go into things with blinkers on. Look, what is very um, important at the moment for, particularly for this government, is indigenous procurement. Now, hang on with me there, because you're probably like, what do they have to do with social enterprise? It's a start, because part of this government's actual indigenous advancement strategy is linked to its economic development strategy. They understand this idea that if you support indigenous business, you are in effect creating real measurable outcomes for indigenous communities. That's the thing that we can use to start talking more broadly around social entrepreneurship and say, well, actually, there are other organizations that are trading to create public good. You have already done really great things. Look at what the indigenous procurement strategy has done. Now, let's look at, and you have no money to fund these things that these other social uh, enterprises are doing as well. I think um, with government, oftentimes it can be sort of two steps forward and three steps back. But I think if we can, if we as a group can sort of latch on and really try to understand what they're trying to accomplish with um, indigenous procurement and look at how it's applicable to what we're doing in social enterprise, I think that will help us. Certainly for me personally, when I've had those conversations, that has helped policy officers and advocates to really be able to understand because we can say well look this is an organization that is actually trying to that is trading for the purposes of supporting women who have who have experienced domestic violence or they're working with young people who are at risk whatever it is and then you're able to say ah that represents a cost that represents you know a challenge let's see how we how we can support that would you offer any advice for those who, who are approaching government since it seems to be such a large theme here then for you? Uh, any learnings that you'd want to say that others should consider if they want to go on that journey that could be learnings for the rest of our community? Well, I, I don't know. I certainly don't want you to, the takeaway to be that, you know, here in Canberra we're all trying to sell the government because that's only, that's actually not <laughs> what we're trying to do. I think the main thing for these businesses is to become good businesses in their own right because the whole idea is about having the freedom that a business model gives you in the sense that you're not totally reliant on grants, philanthropy. Having government as a customer is not dissimilar to having them as a grant, as a donor. So that comes with its own sort of challenges and issues. And so we're not trying to replace one sort of contract instrument with another sort of contract instrument. What we're trying to do is we're trying to build good businesses that have products and services that, that the government also want to buy, that they're buying anyway. So I think it's more the other way around. Okay. I think my focus on it just has to do with the sense of place. Is there anything else about Canberra that, that would be unique that you'd want to highlight? I think the smallness is actually of great benefit in terms of our social impact investment community. This has been led very strongly by the Snow Foundation. Georgina Byron is one of Australia's best social impact investors, um, really gets this space, and they really have quite a, a leadership role in terms of working with other corporates, other smaller family houses, and, and other philanthropies to really change the way philanthropy happens in this town. Sometimes philanthropy can be the death of really good ideas and and it was something that I saw a lot of when I first started this work and increasingly what I'm seeing is a, is a social impact sector led by the Snow Foundation with proper social impact investment and thinking of philanthropy as catalytic 
how can I start, how can I work with a social entrepreneur to start something that can then sustain itself in the long term. And I think the fact that we're neighbors, it's a small community, we get to know each other really well. If you're working with these group of social impact investors on one area, you know, young people for instance, well then it's very likely that they're also interested in women, they're also interested in education, and so you start to build these relationships over time. And I think that is something that, that is kind of our secret weapon. Uh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Small is good yeah. and local is good, right? One of my other questions is really here about reinforcing the importance of networks. And uh, as we go on the journey together, you and I, as, as well uh, as a few other practitioners that we're working with in the Social Enterprise Council, for those who are considering bringing those networks together, do you have any advice or sage wisdom from your experience here in Canberra about how to go about that process? Well, we're still pretty early on our journey, so I don't want to necessarily put myself out there as someone who's an expert on doing this. I think the main thing is just to understand what we're trying to do, and just like we do in our social enterprises where we're always wearing two hats. We're thinking about our customers, and we're thinking about our end users. We're thinking about the people that we're trying to help. I think that's the main thing with the network is just to really be clear on who we're trying to help, who are we speaking for, who are we putting ourselves out there for, and just making sure that that, that mission is front and center. As a leader in the space, yourself and, and your experience here, I think there's certain ingredients that the best social entrepreneurs have in, in terms of their thinking, their mindset, the way they are in the world, the way they relate. Uh, so I'm interested in knowing about what some of your personal advice is for that and advising others. And I also just picked up on your LinkedIn profile the commencement speech where you talked about the danger of passion versus the clarity of purpose. What would you say to others who are going on this journey of, of creating impact around them in their local communities? I think for me it, it's about the fact that pa passion is something that actually scares me as a term because it is important to have passion so let me get that out there. But passion is not enough to sustain how incredibly difficult this work is and how important and how high the stakes are. So for me, working with entrepreneurs that are really clear about their purpose have and are committed to very early in their journeys to having a strong connection to the people that they want to help. If I see that, I almost know straight away as an intermediary and somebody who's been doing this now for a long time, that that's somebody that is going to be coachable, that I'm going to be able to help to find the investment that they need, and that they're probably going to be able to have some runs on the board. I think oftentimes for some people, passion blinds them and it makes them less humble than they need to be. So this work is really hard because yes, you are putting yourself out there. Most of us who are doing this work could be getting paid a lot more money doing something else. And so sometimes it's difficult to kind of put yourself to the side and really say, no, I'm here on behalf of this purpose. Those are the things I can spot that after my first meeting with an entrepreneur. And it's something that in terms of Millhouse, I work really hard to make sure that each cohort has people who are like that because that at the end of the day, whether their business model itself is successful, sometimes they don't work out. I know that that person has such a strong clarity of purpose, they're gonna figure out how to make it happen. It might be the next business or it might be when they do go take a role somewhere in government or as an entrepreneur inside of another organization. As an intermediary, that's what I'm passionate about seeing happen. 
I observe you're wearing really beautiful uh, earrings here today that have the colors of the Aboriginal flag, black, yellow, and red. And today uh, you're hosting a graduation at Millhouse for your last cohort for the year. So it's a nice day to meet you and to come here and, and share that moment with you. So that's kind of just what's happening now. But the question I really wanted to throw was, you've mentioned supporting Indigenous enterprise. I'm an honorary Australian. I'm from Canada, and I believe you're from America, if I recall correctly. So, you know, like... It's interesting, and as a, as a black woman from America, too, and working in Indigenous context here, what's your perspective on that been like for you? Uh, look, it to me, I, I think it's it, it's all about purpose. When I speak to Indigenous entrepreneurs, you know, I call us cousins. <laughs> I say, look, our, our mobs, we're not, we're not, obviously, you know, you don't have to be Indigenous to be a social entrepreneur and vice versa. I think that increasingly within indigenous entrepreneurship, which is something that I'm really passionate and excited about, there is an increasing sort of clarity of purpose. And as I'm seeing that that movement happen within the, the, the sort of black business community, I, I can't help but be excited for it because obviously it's been with people, with us in the social entrepreneur space for a while now. So I, I see our movement as coming together and, you know, I, 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 that's something that, that I'm really passionate about. I love the fact that our cohorts here at Millhouse, we work really closely with, with a number of Indigenous businesses intentionally in terms of the work that we, we're constantly thinking about. Well, how are we including Indigenous voices in those? Because it's, it's important and we should. And like I said, we're, we're, we're both, we have more in common, I think, than not in terms of our movements. You've mentioned a few women-focused social enterprises that you're working with here as well, and it's been a personal observation of mine that, you know, we have more women, there's something closer to gender parity in the social enterprise space, but, but sometimes not. So I'm, I'm just interested in your perspective if you wanted to share anything around that. It's something that I'm really fascinated about, and it's part of why I'm doing a PhD in hybrid businesses and gendered use of business models because I didn't know that well there you go there's something else that you know about me but one of the things that that I see in my clients is such a beautiful growth we do a four-month accelerated program and I've had so many women say you've given me the language of entrepreneurship you've told me I can be a business person and I just think that that's amazing that you know and then I, what I'm really, I'm curi I've been curious about, well, what, what is that? And the more I think about it, there's sort of this expectation, a cultural expectation in this country that if you're a woman and you're passionate about something, or even if you have a community or environmental purpose that, that you want to achieve, that you will do that as a, as a poor person, <laughs> that you'll be a charity and that somehow you'll, you will be a martyr and you can't do that as a successful businesswoman who draws a living wage and is also is generating wealth to employ other people like and I, I just find that fascinating because part of what I see with my clients especially my female clients is this struggle about is it okay for me to make money doing this and I'm like hell yeah so just over and over again this keeps coming up and I don't have all the answers I'm really just literally on the front lines of this movement with these entrepreneurs and seeing something interesting happen with women, and for some reason, maybe it's, it's kind of how I approach things. They are attracted to Millhouse and are attracted to working with me. We've got a, a mostly female team at Millhouse. Not intentionally, it's just sort of how it's worked out, but really creating a safe and welcoming place, particularly for women in a cohort. We do better in a, in a cohort to be able to tease some of these things out. 
that's a whole other podcast for me. <laughs> so I'm going to I'm going to leave that one because because uh, it's there. But it's just as a thought for our listeners as well on a perspective that you'll certainly hear me delving more into from from some of our women leading social entrepreneurs. And also uh, I will ask our men that perspective as well. I want to unpack that one a little later with you, Cindy, at another time, because it's sort of another kind of conversation. Yeah, uh, I think, I think yeah. it's a movement we're there. Like, you know, 10 years ago, we were still arguing about what, what is a social enterprise. I think now it's about, it's about the equity and inclusion of our movement. I think it's now about, okay, look, we're constantly having to re-examine ourselves because we are playing with something that traditionally has been quite dangerous capitalism right and and investment right in these in in these sort of movements and there's just something about these things they just create whole sways of white men like they just clear-cut fell forests and just white men pop up so we need to make sure that 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 doesn't happen in our movement not that I have a problem with white men but exclusively you know so how do we make sure that we're that we're constantly looking at this sort of forest that is our community and make sure that it's being cultivated in a way that it looks like the society that we as social entrepreneurs are trying to build. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to, I couldn't contain myself when you said that and I didn't want to laugh over your answer, but I just had to let it out there going like, yes, what a beautiful and challenging description for, for us out there. Thank you for challenging that. Is there anything else that I haven't asked you that you feel is really important for the listeners? No, no, just keep doing what you're doing out there. Like this is, this is, this is important work. Yeah, great. Cindy, I want to thank you so much for your time and sharing this today. Congratulations on graduating another cohort today. Thank you for your time as well. And over and out. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people, and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below. And remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page, and Twitter.